you're listening to Destination Country X, a KPMG tax radio podcast series. We cover key U.S. and foreign tax and trade developments that affect cross-border investment. I'm your host, Kim Major, a principal with Washington National Tax and tax industry lead for U.S. international corridors. We're glad you could join us. Enjoy the program. So only a few months after his inauguration, Gabriel Boric, Chile's new president, has submitted a lengthy proposal to overhaul Chile's tax system. It's unclear, at least to an outsider, what the future may hold for this proposal. Still, the proposal represents the possibility of significant change to the inbound investment landscape, and we think it's important for U.S.-based multinationals to understand the possibilities. Joining me to discuss are Courtney Wallace, an international tax principal from our Detroit office, Andres Martinez, partner in charge of tax consulting for KPMG Chile, and Juan Infante, tax partner also from KPMG Chile. Thank you, Kim. And it is exciting to finally be getting a treaty through the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. And also we've got impending reform, so a lot of exciting things happening here. So maybe Juan, what are we talking about in terms of big picture items for cross-border investors? So basically, we're facing a massive tax reform that modifies pretty much all of the tax laws in Chile and will inevitably increase the total tax burden for foreign investors. I will say that mainly the disintegration of the tax system will generate an increase of taxation for foreign investors, particularly for those that do not invest from a treaty country. Also, there are additional taxation on undistributed profits that could eventually have an impact on foreign investments. And also there are huge limitations in the use of foreign tax credit when Chile invests in another jurisdiction. Okay, so let's start with shareholder disintegration. How do things work now and would that change under the proposal? The current framework, basically, we have a semi-integrated system where Mm -hmm. local individuals or non-resident investors that invest from a non-treaty country, they are subject to a semi-integrated system where the corporate income tax by the entity in Chile it's partially deducted from the final taxation triggered when dividends are effectively distributed to the final tax base. In case of non-resident investors that invest from a treaty country, we have a full integrated system, which means that the entire corporate income tax paid by the Chilean entity is deducted against the withholding tax that is triggered when the dividends are remitted to the non-resident shareholder. So what the disintegration is proposing is basically to change the semi-integrated system, the one that affects local individuals and foreign investors that invest from a non-treaty country, okay? Because what the tax reform proposed is that you will not longer be able to partially deduct the corporate income tax credit, and instead, the company will be taxed And then the dividend distribution will be later taxed with another tax, with another tax rate, which will eventually make increase the total tax burden to 43%, which is not so beneficial compared with the 35% overall 
tax burden right now. Is this going to happen all at once or are there transition rules to ease investors into the new system? Yes, there are some transition rules that will apply in the next three years. Basically, those rules are focused on the opportunity of apply and a reduce withholding tax for dividend distribution with an array of 10%. But the application of this new tax, the 22% capital tax for distribution, it will start January 1st of 2025, and it will start in that year, and it will not be a transitory rule for that application. There will be other transition rules for other issues, but this integration itself is going to start in one year and no more than that. So it's a little bit like a mandatory repatriation in the United States when we moved through tax reform and moving into the guilty system, et cetera. But it's not mandatory. It's voluntary. But, but it's voluntary in the sense of if you know what you're doing, it's going to be mandatory. Is that right? So, right. So, it's a trap if you don't, right. if you don't take care of it. Right? I, I don't see it as a trap because in many cases, what the law bill is proposing is that you could even go down from a 35 overall taxation that applies now. And if you use this benefit that the tax reform gives you between now and 2024, you could eventually reduce your taxation to 10%. I understand that it's kind of tricky because if you don't do it, you're going to be even more penalized afterwards. But if you do it, you're going to get a benefit now, right? So it's it has a, like a double view. How do you have, or is it because you have current earnings that are accruing that have not yet been taxed, that if you distribute them prior to corporate level taxation, they'll only be subject to the 10% tax? That's right. There are many situations where companies in Chile have undistributed profits that haven't paid yet the corporate income tax due because of temporary difference between your accounting rules and your tax rule, for example, accelerated depreciation or other type of differences that may make that a company has undistributed profits without having paid corporate income tax. So this 10% flat rate that is provided until 2024 will give you the possibility to withdraw those profits out of Chile and apply a cap taxation of 10%. And the thing is that if you don't do that by 2024, everything's going to get more messy and it's going to be more difficult to take those profits without being subject to this new taxation of 43%. The distribution part is voluntary, but in practice, the taxation of those earnings is mandatory. Why is mandatory? Because you cannot enjoy the benefits if you don't pay the tax. Okay, but... If you don't distribute, because you said the distribution part is voluntary, if you don't distribute the lower taxed earnings right away, and then you have higher taxed earnings later on, when you finally distribute, are distributions last in, first out basis or first in, first out? Last in and first out. No, so basically the last earnings that you get will be the first earnings that you will distribute following the system. For that reason, and in practice, it's an, an a practice issue 
to pay the tax and get the benefit in order to lower your taxation at 10%. All right. Because otherwise, it's going to get harder and harder as you accrue the more expensive earnings to tap into the lower earnings that are not subject to any additional tax when you make the distribution. Is that right? Exactly. Perfect. I thought that there was also a transition tax period for 25 and 26 that involved a 12% rate. What is that? Did I just mistake that? No, there is the same rule, but for 25 and 26, it goes up to 12%. The transition rules will be benefiting you, but over the years, that benefit will be decreasing. And then based on the transitory rules from 2028, this flat rate of 12% is repealed and you cannot longer benefit from that. I understand in March we've had some activity relative to the U.S. Treaty and working through the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. If the U.S. doesn't finish all of the things necessary, how would Chile treat the U.S. at that point? since we are pretty far down the path with the treaty? U.S. investors, because of a domestic rule, are treated similarly as a treaty investor, even if we don't have a treaty in place yet with the U.S. But that domestic rule only applies until 2026. So you could eventually conclude and assume that from 2025, a U.S. investor will have its total tax burden increase from 35 to 43%. Juan, can we have a quick chat on the anti-deferral tax? It seems to me that it kind of goes hand in hand with the shareholder disintegration proposal, does it not? Yes and no. I will say that the anti-deferral tax, it's mm-hmm. a mechanism that the tax reform intends to apply for specific type of entities that register undistributed taxable amounts. So basically, what the tax reform says is that if you have a company that qualifies as a holding company, which means that more than 50% of its revenue is connected to some type of passive income, like dividends, interest, royalties, capital gains, and so on, that entity, if at the end of the year has undistributed taxable amounts in its balance sheet, will be subject to this 1.8 penalty tax on the undistributed amount. What the rule intends to do is to penalize those structures that do not withdraw the amounts up to the final taxpayers. And they charge some sort of like interest rate on the undistributed amount. There's no previously taxed income concept, right? So that if you have 100 in retained earnings and you retain for several years, do you end up accruing the 1.8% for every year that you retain? Or is it a one-time 1.8% charge? No, it's 1.8 every year on the amount that has not been distributed. Good to know. Is there an exception for startup companies? No. The base of this new tax is going to be only passive income. So operative entities will not be subject to this tax. So in your case, the startup company that holds the cash, basically, Mm -hmm. and develop the activity, 
whatever is going to be that digital activities, manufacture, whatever, it will not be subject to the tax at that level. Only at the moment in which the dividend is being distributed to the mm -hmm. holding entity in Chile, mm -hmm. the tax will apply to the holding entity because that holding entity will receive passive income, which is an, a dividend distribution. But the operative entity will not be subject to the taxation. So you can maintain the cash, you can do the activities, and as long as you don't distribute the dividend, the taxation will not apply. And but so, wait a minute. So there's no look through to characterize the dividend as operating or income or as coming from operating income no, or no. not. I see. That is one of the mistakes that has the rule, in our opinion. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, because basically <laughs> the rules say that if you have income that came from passive income, dividend, interest, royalty, whatever, mm -hmm. you apply in more than 50% of your income, you are subject to the taxation. So that means that all of the holding companies in Chile that only receive dividend, which is 100% of the holding companies in Chile, mm -hmm. will be subject to this taxation on a full basis of their income, because the only income that they receive is dividend. So the full dividend will be taxed at that level. But the operator, the company that distributes the dividend, that makes the money, is not mm -hmm. subject to this tax. But the law is not made for holding companies. It defines that this deferral tax applies to any company that more than 50% of their revenue comes from passive income. So you may have a, a leasing entity, an entity that, for example, charges a royalty on IPs, so those type of revenues, that entity could also be subject to the 1.8 deferral tax, right? We hear there were changes proposed and then maybe even more changes proposed <laughs> to the net operating loss carry forward rules. Can you take us through those? What is being proposed that the tax losses will continue to be carried forward indefinitely, which is happening right now. In a couple of years, in 2025, taxpayer will be only be allowed to use 50% of the annual taxable income against the tax losses. So basically, that gives a result that companies will need to pay on a sort of minimal tax, even if they have tax losses accumulated. And that is something very heavy, especially for companies that has accelerated depreciation or mining companies or companies that are pulled in the infrastructure business. That is one of the important points. Yeah, so actually what the government has announced a couple of weeks ago, it's some changes to that limitation, which basically says that instead of applying a limitation in 2024 of 75% and in 2025 onwards of 50%, what the government now is suggesting is that from 2025, the limitation will be for 80% of the annual tax result. In 2026, the limitation will go up to 65. And from 2027 onwards, we're going to have the permanent limitation of 50%. Okay, so a moving target. Andres, there's another question that we had with respect to the corporate income tax rate. 
It's currently at 27%. There's maybe a little bit of leeway to take it down to 25, but it's not a true tax savings, is it? Yeah. The new rule is that the corporate income tax will decrease in two points. So basically they want to reduce to 25, which was the past corporate income tax rate that we have some years ago. But the trick here is that you will have that reduction, but you need to pay it in addition and a 2% in investigation and researches and high level technology and apply for some kind of approval for the government in order to obtain that benefit. So in some way, they are giving to you some benefits, say, look, if you do this kind of activities, investigation and development activities, mm-hmm. you can reduce your rate, but you need to do the payment. Basically, you will have the same economic impact in the company because you will need to pay to somebody that kind of money. And the problematic that we have on that is that they are interposing, they are putting within the company, the use of the benefit will depend in the approval or, or rejection of some projects and some investigation and some audit process that will came from some agencies in Chile, some governmental agencies. So yes, in theory, you will have the reduction, but instead of that, you will have a lot of bureaucracy in order to obtain the benefits. So the idea is good, but I think that there is some room for doing better in, in relation to put less bureaucracy on the procedure. You know, court too, like if you compare it to a research and development credit or some kind of credit against tax, we have in the beat world, we're looking at pillar two, we're seeing so much in terms of, well, what happens if you give a credit that would net down your tax liability? Does that count against you? Now, we're talking about the upper 20s with respect to a corporate tax rate. So we're not talking about, you know, a minimum taxation or a global minimum taxation type of problem. But from a structural perspective, seems kind of savvy. I would agree. And I guess we've been tackling that a little bit even here in the U.S. What's the most beneficial way to change behavior via mm-hmm. the credit and should things be refundable and should they be transferable and what should it otherwise look like? But certainly I know there are are some potential challenges and how is the WTO going to think about some of these as well, right, as we go forward. So we've got the BEPS issues and how we're going to get to the taxation amounts, but certainly some broader questions, I think, to carry over as well. Talking about trying to influence taxpayer behavior. There was an introduction of the GAR, and there were also some new rules with respect to the transfer pricing self-adjustments. I think that takes away the disincentive for good behavior while trying to curb potentially aggressive behavior as well. Yes. So basically, the domestic anti-avoidance rule was was included a few years ago, like in 2005, 2015, sorry. But the thing was that when it was submitted, there was a discussion around if that rule could be applied by the local tax authorities, regardless of a prior authorization from a tax court. And mm-hmm. at the end, it was decided that if the IRS wanted to apply the local GAR, they needed to have a pre-approval from a tax court. In practice, what happened was that it has been really, really difficult for the authority to apply that rule 
because they had to submit a case before a court, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the entire burden of the proof is on them at the beginning. So what the tax reform proposed in terms of the guard is that tax authorities could apply that rule without this prior approval from the tax court, which means basically the tax authority on administered stage could eventually charge taxes applying principles of substance over form. Then the burden of the proof goes into the taxpayer. And the taxpayer is the one that has to prove that he didn't took an aggressive position in terms of the local guard. Okay. And with respect to transfer pricing adjustments? I thought I read somewhere that these self-adjustments are limited to adjustments that would increase the taxpayer's taxable income. Yes, it's, it's in that way. There are some changes there, but will only allow to the taxpayer increase the income. So the self-adjustment is being introduced, but it works only for one side. <laughs> so basically, <laughs> if you don't want to decrease your income, it's not possible to do the self-adjustment. The good point here is that they give you the window to do the self-adjustment, increasing the income without penalty. Basically, that is the outcome here. Is you can do it without triggering the penalty tax that is being imposed, charge you, or if I make the adjustment from the Chilean areas. It had been pretty significant, that penalty, right? Yes. I like that. It's, it's 40% penalty tax. So 40, like 40%. Yes. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so also a pretty smart, a yes. pretty intelligent set of moves, I have to say. So Juan, can you go through for us a bit on the local foreign tax credit changes? So basically, the system allows you to credit foreign taxes paid up to 35%. The thing is that as we have a semi-integrated system and a full integrated system that coexists, foreign taxes up to 27% are used to cover the corporate income tax in Chile. And then the 8% balance, it's registered to be used and credited against the final taxation when dividends are finally remitted to a non-residential holder or to a local individual. Okay, so basically, if you pay 35 foreign taxes, you're able to use those 35, okay? That is something that's gonna change with the tax reform because basically what the law bill says is that you're not longer available to use up to the 35, you're going to be able only to use up to 27%. That's one of the big changes in the foreign tax credit system. We had heard that while the system allows income taxes from two tiers of foreign subs to be creditable, the initial proposal eliminated the second tier, so only direct subsidiary taxes could be credited. The modification package, or at least what has been announced, is that the second tier jurisdiction will be reinstated will be re-included, but it doesn't say anything if the 27% limit will be increased to 35. If the company goes to the government, gets the clearance for the investments and in technology and research and whatnot, that then gives them the ability to take their tax rate down to 25%, does the foreign tax credit also get adjusted down to 25% for the amount of actual income tax paid to Chile, or does it stay at 
and then maybe get carry forward or blended or whatnot? Basically, the proposal specifies that the 2% development tax, as it is called, is treated as an income tax for all purposes. So our understanding is that that 2%, it is indeed counted with for the 27% limitation on the foreign tax credit imputation. So maybe the better question is whether it's creditable in the U.S. I guess I would argue that the base is literally the income tax base, right? And the calculation is done for income tax purposes at the 27% level. And then the 2% of the income tax owed. Well, I mean, that can be written as a check to the government or it can be plowed back into R&D and other benefited activities, I think it's kind of like a back-end subsidy, assuming that the activities qualify. I think that's a good argument if it works. I guess we need to stay tuned. Yeah. So this is a moving target on many levels. No sooner did the proposal hit the desk than the Chilean IRS started issuing guidance, tweaking, sometimes significantly, aspects of this proposal. Now, the U.S.-Chile treaty is moving, if at all, on a very different but equally important trajectory. And then there's the Boric administration as a whole, which, at least based on the early going, promises to be very interesting indeed. We'll keep you posted. And in the meantime, be good, stay well. We'll speak again soon. You've been listening to Destination Country X. Thanks so much for tuning in. We look forward to speaking to you next time.